0: Before we begin to look at the text this morning, I just wanted to share with you some of the things that God's just brought uh, even more clearly to mind for me. And one is, over this past couple of weeks, just this deep sense of gratitude um, that I get to be in this position uh, with with you. It's just such an honor uh, to be one of your pastors. Here I've heard just stories perhaps piled up more than on a normal couple of weeks in the last few weeks of... Many of you just really wrestling with hard things in your life and challenges that you face and going after it uh, together with the Lord in your groups and, and with others and doing bold and courageous things. And some of you in positions of significance and ability, uh, deciding to take those things and use them to bring glory to God and, and others for the world to see um, what Jesus does when he works in a person's life. And, it's just like over and over again, I've, I've heard stories or remembered stories, and I've just said, God, thank you so much for the privilege I have. It is just an honor to be able to be uh, your pastor and get to do this part of it. You know, we all just, God takes all of these things and puts them together and builds up the body of Christ. And I get this little one, and I love it, uh, particularly when it's getting to be in conjunction with all of you. And, To be able to talk about God's word this morning and then watch what the church family does with it is just a great gift Uh, and I'm I'm grateful for it. So it just seems like God has just pieced together so many different parts of this or at least has given me the capacity to be able to see it and I'm immensely grateful for the privilege of being able to be part of the team that God's put together here, the family God's put together here. So let's ask God to continue to do his work, and let's ask him for that as we pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the richness of your word, that it's living and active, and it does surgery in our hearts, and it has implications for our lives and for the world around us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help me through my words and through your word and through the Holy Spirit's word and through the words of others that we put in our lives that speak into our lives during the course of this week, that you would do a work that would bring glory to you, first of all and uh, joy to us and others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last May, a gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Hunter was transporting his new sailboat, or sailboat new to him, across a part of the ocean uh, to the harbor that he was going to keep it at. And he was going through high seas and high winds, and he was all alone. He was a smart sailor. He'd taken every precaution with weather gear and with a life jacket, and he would clip himself from one area to the boat uh, uh, to another as he would trim the sails and manage the seas along the way, and he was doing that. he was clipping from one place to another when the seas shifted and he tumbled overboard. The problem is that he was five miles out from shore and it was later on in the afternoon and he managed to swim those five miles and pull himself up onto the rocks, pretty well battered but he had survived uh, the tumultuous seas and uh, the danger that could have easily ended his life. The stories aren't always great endings. In fact, it just um, uh, about three years ago, in the Great Chesapeake Bay Schooner Race, a participant actually that grew up in where Beth and I came from in Wisconsin was thrown overboard in the middle of the race in these choppy seas and could not be re- revived. Uh, The seas are a dangerous place. The wind comes up and it blows the waves and the waves uh, create incredible damage or high risk. Wind tosses waves and waves toss boats and people are put in vulnerable positions as a result of it. And in the book of James, James gives us this invitation to live a life characterized rather than being tossed by the wind and becoming waves that wreak havoc on our lives and the lives of those around us to actually find ourselves living a life characterized by firm footing, by stable ground. Um, And when he invites us to live a life where we feel like we're on stable ground, it's not just simply so that we can stand there. The value of firm footing is that we can actually move. Uh, That's the reason why we place our feet on stable ground, is so that we can actually have the capacity to pivot and to move and 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 to go forward. That's what the book of James is about. It's about faith that moves, that pivots. It's active faith. Solid ground allows effective movement to adjust and to gain speed. And so it's reasonable for us to ask as we walk into this look at the book of James is how is your life going? Does it feel more like it's wind-tossed waves or do you feel like there's Uh, an underlying stability that gives you the capacity to be able to move and act and pivot and operate in ways that would bring uh, joy to you and glory to God? How, How would you assess your doing? Where are you? Well, the call at the beginning of the book of James is to invite us to a place where we can actually live with firm footing. To live a faith that Acts, and that's what the book of James is about, and we'll talk a little bit about it, but we'll continue to hit highlights of the character of the book of James as we walk through it. But first of all, just a couple of things as we begin these eight verses, and the first is this, that the book of James, there's beauty and strength in the book. It's about relevant faith, that's the title of our series. It's a practical book. When a theologian looked at it and saw all of these uh, bits of instruction and described the book of James as a jumbled series of unrelated bits of teaching material strung together in a largely haphazard form. (laughs) Well, I suppose if you looked at it in a cursory way, you might be able to conclude that. But as you look at the type of material that it is, it is actually a strong and beautiful book uh, that has a lot of thought Uh, Brought into it. In fact, we're going to learn in the next number of weeks that it's almost as if this book was written for Johnson County residents. Uh, As we walk through it, you'll see that's, that's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. What does it mean for us to live with relevant faith right here, right now? Well, there's another aspect of the book of James, and that is its striking introduction. I mean, right after he says who he is and what his role is and who he's speaking to, I mean, you look at the first sentence and it just kind of hits you in the forehead if you're not ready for it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. I had a friend of mine said to me that that's been described as the most difficult verse in the Bible. I mean, it almost seems crazy on the face of it, doesn't it? And one wonders if we're going to get another dose of Greek stoicism here, you know, just grin and bear it, or is this actually Christian faith? I and mean, that is the question, isn't it? Is this just going to be a dose of grin and bear it? Or is there actually a uh, faith underneath this? In fact, this would be the most difficult sentence in the Bible if only the sentence stood on its own. But the sentence doesn't stand on its own. It introduces us to rich realities of what it means to live the Christian faith. And the invitation here is to, be, to live a life characterized by joyful anticipation rather than stoic resolve. Some of us are really good at the stoic resolve, aren't we? God says, I got something a whole lot better for you than that. And it's to live a life of joyful anticipation. To live with expectancy and hope in a way that even meshes with the trials that we find ourselves in the middle of. So let's look at those trials and look at the results of them. And and James walks this through. And and the first point I want to make is what James is saying. And it is there's this invitation. God wants you to live a big life. That's really what he wants for you. You look at the construct of it. It says, consider it pure joy. You face trials, trials of many kinds. Because, you know, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This maturity and completion is is not about being a perfect person. It's not being characterized by high, really unachievable standards, but it's being characterized by devotion to God, a single-minded devotion to God that marks our lives with uh, rightful purpose and wholeness that we might experience firm footing in a world that keeps knocking us off of our feet. Now, if that sounds just kind of like a whole bunch of uh, uh, religious words thrown together, maturity and completion, we need to realize we're actually reading a book that is a book for the world that we live in, uh, that this has relevance to the life that you'll experience when you walk out of here this morning Faced with right now, What you deal with all during the course of your week or this year ahead of of you. It's actually relevant to that. And here's the invitation. That God wants you to live a big life because he has a big life intended for you. Mark Labberton, in a book that he uh, wrote recently called Called, actually describes his wrestling with the Christian faith when he was a young student. And he talks about what he discovered in contrast to what he thought he knew about what it meant to be a Christian in the opening of the book, he says, he says this, When I was considering the possibility of embracing Christian faith as a young college student, what I feared most was that it would make my life smaller rather than larger. Boy, that was my story. Um, less love, less joy, less creativity, less wonder, less engagement. I had met enough Christians who were incarnational proof of this. So when I finally came to faith in Christ as a college student, it was because I discovered that Jesus saves people from the very smallness I feared. I saw that the very essence of the kingdom of God is a life bigger than I would ever find outside of it. That's what God has for us. God wants you to live a big life. It's not God wants to make you a big deal. God wants you to live a big life, a capacious life. In fact, this is all over scripture. Go back to to Psalm 66. And in Psalm 66, we see these themes of trial and difficulty, and the result of it even played out there by the psalmist. And we see that. Can we bring that up? Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept us among the living and has not let our feet slip? For you, O God, have tested us, you have tried us as silver is tried, you brought us into the net, you laid burdens on our backs, you let people ride over our heads, we went through fire and water, yet you have brought us out to a spacious place. That's what God wants for you and for his people, to live a life of spaciousness, to to move and to pivot and to walk into life and to live it in a way that is mature and complete and whole. This is what God wants us to live. And this is what we'll be walking through as we wrestle with the themes that are part of James. Relevant is big and spacious. How does it happen? James gets right to it when he talks about the means of maturity. And it is this reality. God wants you and me to embrace perseverance. Because that's the means by which it happens. Here we see the, the connectedness of the book of James. Actually, he starts out right out of the gate talking about perseverance. And you get to the end of the book and what he's talking, what's he talking about at the end of the book? He's talking about perseverance all over again. In James chapter 5, verse 11, he talks about those that persevere and will be counted as blessed. This is a significant feature of a life, a character trait, because there's power and there's significance that comes with it. This is what God does, even in Psalm 66. It says, you've tested us, you've brought us into the net, you've laid burdens on our back, yet you do all of that to lead us into a spacious place in a spacious life. Now, talking about perseverance, note the sequence here and the significance that we find here. Consider it pure joy. Face trials of many kinds. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance perseverance finishes its work so that you might be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Tested faith brings perseverance and endurance. Not always, but that's the intent of the trials. We'll see when it doesn't work out that way later on, but the purpose of testing is to bring perseverance. And this perseverance is more than fortitude or, or stoicism or even stubbornness. Some of us are really good at that. This is about character that is steadfast, characterized by constancy, Stain, power, determination under adversity, but all colored with the idea of hope. That's what it is. It's those things with hope besides, with a sense of joy in the middle of it. Now, there might not be lightness of step, but there will not be heaviness of heart. That's what he wants for you. Your steps might be tough, but he doesn't want your heart to be heavy, it's not necessary. One can live in the midst of trials and the perseverance that we're asked to uh, join with those trials with an anticipation of a capacious life. The trial comes and I can say, huh, looks like God's got more for me. Looks like there's more to come. And it comes through a choice to embrace perseverance. And perseverance must embrace trials. It says whenever you face trials, literally in the Greek, it's to encounter them. You know, they just kind of happen to us. You don't have to go out and look for trouble. Uh, It's going to come your way. Uh, Sometimes unwelcome, sometimes unanticipated. But that's what will happen. You live life and you will encounter trials. What kind of trials is James referring to? Well, he tells us, many kinds. And there's a whole array of trials that are described in Scripture in in the book of James and elsewhere in God's Word as well. Some of those trials are external trials. Some of those trials are sourced internally. They're just in what's going on inside of our heart. Some of those trials are trials that are caused by Satan. James talks about that in this book, and the New Testament references, Jesus references Satan as a direct factor in the trials that we face. Some of those trials are caused by sin. Our own brutish or selfish impulses that bring trials in our life and the lives of those around us. Some, Some of those trials are caused just simply by life as humans commonly experience it. It's just... The ebb of flow, it's one season followed by another. Uh, Life never gets old, and sometimes we wish it did because the trials are relentless and new. Some trials are sent by God. Psalm 66 talks about that. In Proverbs chapter 3, it talks about the Lord disciplines those he loves. And so you say, okay, I'm in the middle of a trial, and which one is it? And I think that's a reasonable question to ask, but it's not the critical question. It's not, where did it come from? It's, what will I do as a result of it? As you're journaling during the course of this uh, time in, in James, I think it's valuable to even ask yourself, well, where did this come from? Is this, is this my own sinful choices? Is this something that kind of messes with me and my background? Is this the evil one? I think there's value in that. But once you've you've spent enough time looking at that, get to the piece that matters the most. And that is, what will I do right now? How will I regard it? Testing's intended result is to create noble character. Will it? Yes. Yes. But I must embrace perseverance in order for it to do that. You must embrace perseverance because perseverance does its work, it works, it finishes its work. Perseverance is a gift, it does work on our behalf, that generates big lives. You can't get there without it. If you're like me, there are times in your life where you just rest and you say, wow, I can't become what I long to be. Why am I not getting there? One of the reasons for that might be is because I'm trying to avoid pain at all costs. I'm going to fight the trial or run from the trial or just simply give up. God wants us to welcome into our life the very thing that he intends to do work for us. I can be tossed by the wind and I will continue to be tossed by the wind unless I decide to embrace what will fully develop my character of stability, goodness, maturity. I just want to encourage you as I want others to encourage me. Don't insulate yourself from trials. Don't insulate your close friends. Don't don't insulate your kids. Don't, Don't protect them from life. Don't protect them from the invitation to embrace perseverance, because perseverance does work. I remember when I first learned about tithing, and my my parents were insistent on it in my life, and, um, you know, I got a lawn mowing job, and I was making big money, (laughs) you know, fifth grade, I was making big money. And my folks said, you know, that's really great, I'm looking at the, this money, and they said, you know what, We're, we follow Jesus, and, and uh, so you're going to take 10% of that, and you're, you can decide what wonderful thing you want to give it to that matters to the Lord, but there it goes. And uh, that was just something that my folks insisted on in my life, and it caught on, and I saw God work even as a kid, and... You know, then you grow up and you get a job and then you're making big money, or at least it seemed like it then. But that number was pretty big. It was a whole lot bigger than a lawn mowing job. And then there was just this, well, I know what this is supposed to be about. And you know what I discovered in the midst of this uh, journey and, and, and commitment is that God just always provided. I said, boy, I don't know if I dare, and then I, and I do, and I, Realize that my life becomes characterized by more of a sense of confidence and assurance and the reality of God's provision in surprising circumstances. And you realize that thing that my parents insist on actually has grown me up and lived with character traits I wouldn't have had any other way. And the very same thing that God does with that in the life of a follower of Jesus he does with trials. And the very same things, we're going to just do it because God will use us to develop character in my life. And so we embrace it and we discover that we grow. Friends, God wants you to embrace perseverance as well. To say when that trial, that difficult, that unexpected thing, that painful thing, it's not perseverance unless it's painful, Right? What is it right now? What is it? That you right now want to walk away from? Complain about? Get angry about? And God says, why don't we try perseverance instead? Because watch... What it does. Perseverance does work. And then we come to this last piece of it that we need to be reminded of, and James spends the rest of this section of time talking about it, and that is um, take the first two steps, and they're not to run. You run, and perseverance work won't be done. Anyone who wants maturity will need perseverance's help. Your kids will need it. You will need it. We will need it. So instead of running from it, what are the paths we take towards it? And James gives us two instructions. The first step is this. Ask for wisdom. Verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. God gives wisdom indiscriminately you don't have to merit it or deserve it all you have to do is desire it that's all there's no other qualification that who wants wisdom in the middle of a life filled with trials just ask for it there are three dimensions of wisdom as god's word talks about it and the first one is this is Wisdom is a relationship, it's just not a set of intellectual facts, it's a relationship. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and that's, he's talking about engaging in a relationship with a God With God, that's this, and this dependent, and this significant, and, and, and this devoted. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and so it starts with a relationship, not a mere content download. God is described as the one who is the wonderful counselor. And this is where it starts. This is why we talk about giving our life to Christ because he is the wisdom giver and the wisdom provider. We surrender to him. We say we're done with our own ways, our own wisdom, and we know the foolishness of it, and we say, I'm done. I'm giving my life to God. We, 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 we uh, make a commitment to Christ that lasts for the rest of our life to absolutely surrender. We, even in, in uh, Christian uh, world we actually symbolize the power of that. Someone stands in the waters of baptism and they say, I'm done. I'm done with my life and I'm giving my life to Christ. And I know he loves and forgives and without qualification other than me just simply saying yes. And then the person that baptizes them drops them into the water and and they're off balance in the water. Unable to control themselves at all to just say, "I'm, I'm trusting in someone beside myself, and then to be raised up out of the waters of baptism and to be able to walk out of the pool in, in newness of life. That's the start. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and this is what God does. We're going to actually have a service involving baptism in a couple of weeks or a month or so, and... Some of you may in the middle of this series in James realize I haven't made that decision yet and I'm ready to and we would invite you to join us. Others of you said I've done it, I just have to declare it to myself and to those around me. That's the first piece of asking God for wisdom. The second part of it is to be found in Christian community. This value of living life together. We walk in newness of life with others that are part of our life. I heard just last night a great story of a of God doing this. Um, uh, the hours are part of a group of people, some from Hillcrest and other, other churches in town, that have moved down to the complex around the community around Mission Adelante, working with really under resourced, uh, vulnerable people. And a number of people have actually moved into the neighborhood. And Michael and Lori last night were talking about the challenges that come with that with their kids. And they said, You know, we went through a really hard time where somebody came in and and destroyed our car and stole the bike and we're just wondering whether we can even go on anymore. And uh, you know what happened? A bunch of uh, followers of Jesus came to their house. 25 of them gathered in the house and prayed for them and reminded them again of why they're there. Perseverance. It happens because God puts people in our lives that help us when we don't have the ability to focus on those things ourselves wisdom is found in christian community and then third wisdom allows us to see what others may call misfortune whatever its source is actually an opportunity for god to bring about his purposes ask god for wisdom and then the second action point the second step is to believe and don't doubt to be a person of faith Oftentimes this is applied to the context of our prayers. You know, we look in this, okay, when I pray, I have to pray with absolute confidence. Is that what it's saying? It's actually not what it's saying. When it's saying don't doubt, it's not saying pray with confidence and certainty. Jesus has just described the universal generosity of God to anybody who asks for it. Will he give it only to those who are sure that he can over and over again, there are people that go, I, I believe, help my unbelief. Okay, you're exactly where you need to be. This isn't a matter of us making sure intellectually that we're able to understand everything about what God will do and how he will do it. The doubt here isn't the prayer. It's a prayer that one live a life that is not characterized by doubt. What kind of doubt? Doubt that is wavering and uncertain. Don't doubt. Go forward you know enough about who God is and his presence with you, keep moving forward. That's what it's talking about. You keep plowing through that trial with an attitude of perseverance fueled by hope found in God and you will find yourself coming out the other side of that more mature and complete than you ever imagined. That's what it's talking about here. Not pray without wavering, live without wavering. Faith referenced here is an optimism, it's action. Don't waver, persevere. This is an exhortation to plunge forward and be characterized by perseverance because perseverance does its work. Relevant faith is faith that manifests itself in action. Help me, help us, God, not to live timidly, not to crumble in the weight of it. Who here wants to be mature and complete? Who here wants to turn their life on its head and surrender to Jesus Christ? Who here wants to stand in a crowd and say, I am his? Who here wants a capacious life Who wants it for their kids? And who is willing to want it for themselves first? Well, James is just walking us into this invitation. Okay, now let's do the work. Let's do the work. And we're going to do that together. You'll notice in your connect, there's a copy of what the series looks like with what we're going to be covering here on Sunday mornings. Some of you will be in small groups that will be going through the book of James together, not completely related to this, but but enough so that the themes will intermesh. And we pray and trust that God will make it a rich, growing experience for you along the way. We'd also invite you to engage in this by asking yourselves questions. There are a variety of themes that just kind of wind their way through the book of James. And they're reduced to five questions that... um, we would just like to ask you to take home with you. Perhaps put it in your journal or uh, take it out when you're having conversations with other people because these really are the themes that we will find in the book of James as we do that work together. We know this, that applying God's word with others over time is the way in which he gives us the things that we need to be able to move on. One last just comment and then we will uh, conclude with this portion of the service. My, My Friday was filled with trying to get my tires changed, and it took forever. I was sitting there with an older gentleman who was retired, and he was this world traveler. He'd been all over the world, uh, read all kinds of things. And and uh, then he asked the question, well, what do you do? And when I said I was a pastor, you could just see the eyes glaze over like, oh, that's a big deal. And then he proceeded to tell me all of the things he had read and knew about all of these diverse faiths in the world. And basically was kind of this gentle challenge against anything that I would hold uh, as, 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 uh, as relevant, and uh, it was just kind of an interesting back and forth, and, and we had great conversation as well, too, but there were these jabs that went in along the way, and, and he was just talking about a church that was characterized by a whole bunch of people just feeling entitled and benefiting from themselves, and he said, your car, he says, is that a business vehicle? <laughs> no, I mean, and I, I realized there's no way I'm going to just even win this thing, and uh, you can talk about 30 percent. All that you know what? That's not gonna. That's not gonna have any relevance for this gentleman. You know what? This gentleman needs to see. Not anything that happens in this building. He needs to see what God does. When God's children. Consider pure joy. When they face trials of every kind. Embrace it with pure perseverance, and wind up being mature and complete and express it in ways in their world that others will see as we celebrate a God who transforms our lives bit by bit, day by day, piece by piece. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, thank you so much for your word and for your work. We pray, Lord, now that you would do it as we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.